Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who have embraced a global role and reaped the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world. You know, whether or not you've considered moving abroad or taking on an international role, globalization will impact your career. So join us for a lively discussion as we explore what an international career really means. My name is Stacey nevadomsky Burdan, and I'll be your host. In season two, we find ourselves in a fast-changing world, still affected by the pandemic, where we must adapt to succeed. Come with us as we share with you how to craft your place in the new global workspace. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Steve McGarry, Director of Global Mobility at WPP, a world leader in communications, experience, commerce, and technology. Headquartered in the UK, the company has a global network of 100,000 people across 110 countries. And while WPP may not sound that familiar to you, I'm pretty confident you've heard of its brands, some of the biggest in advertising, PR, and data analytics. Landorn Fitch, Ogilvy, Mindshare, Wavemaker, Gray, and BCW, to just name a few. In fact, the B in BCW stands for Burson, previously Burson Marsteller, where I worked for more than 12 years. And yes, Steve oversaw my DC Hong Kong transfer oh so many years ago, so I know he knows exactly what he's talking about. Welcome, Steve. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Stacey. Pleasure to be here. All right, let's get started. One of the objectives of this podcast is to provide a sense of the careers that are out there. You've been in the global mobility field for decades. Tell us about it, what you do, and your role today with WPP. Global mobility um, is, for the most part, moving people. It has to do with getting somebody physically from point A to point B as the job asks it to be. Um, That all entails moving somebody, getting rid of a house, helping them find a new house, compensating them correctly, making sure they have a legal right to work there, making sure their taxes are paid properly, um, and everything in between. That is basically what global mobility is. Um, What do I do is I manage a team that actually helps uh, the agencies and brands within WPP to do that. Um, And also um, compliance in in relation to all of that is part of my remit as well. Wow. So I guess you've done that for, um, well, I think you've been in the business for almost 20, 30 years. And how many countries, how many moves? You have even just an estimate, a guesstimate of, of how many how many transfers you've done? Guesstimate, I would probably put somewhere in the neighborhood of 45,000 people. Wow, that is a lot of people moving around the world and exciting too. So um, I imagine you've seen a lot of change in the mobility space over the years. Can you share with us evolution, some things you've seen, some trends, um, specifically highlighting what's going on, what's new today? Uh, In in the field of mobility, especially when you're talking globally, what used to be um, the norm is that when somebody would go out on assignment, let's say from D.C. to Hong Kong, um, it would be for a very specific period of time, two, three, four years where a job needed to be done and that person would come back. And during the time that they were overseas, let's say Hong Kong, they would stay on the U.S. payroll. We would do a hypothetical tax. We would pay the taxes for them in Hong Kong. We would give them a cost of living allowance and a housing allowance and make sure that everything they needed, they had there. One of the biggest changes in the mobility world is that has evolved into now, if we have that same move, that person is going to Hong Kong. But we're going to tell them you're on a Hong Kong salary, you're on a Hong Kong contract, you're getting Hong Kong benefits. This is where the job is. You're here until 
we find somewhere else or you find somewhere else you want to be. So instead of having these, what are called traditional expatriate moves, now we have more local to local moves where people are actually moving around the world on local basis. Well, that's really interesting. What does that mean for, for employees? I can, I, can, I can picture and visualize what it would have been for me, especially in a place like Hong Kong where cost of living and rent is kind of um, really skewed. Um, mm-hmm. But what does it mean for these 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 people that you're transferring now what are the what are the differences besides the obvious now you've become a a local hire in hong kong say it 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 comes down to the employees completely understand that now the job is there instead of just being a short-term assignment they realize that this is a long-term situation and um, they have to make a life in the new location which is not really that bad because it is giving people the opportunity to actually build their careers on a longer term basis than on a short term basis. Um, They're getting more experience, they're getting to know people better, they're getting to know the clients better. Um, You know, there is the cost saving um, attribute that the company actually gets. However, it also helps the employee as well, because, you know, when you're moving to a place like Hong Kong, you know, yes, the cost of living can be higher and the cost of housing can be higher. However, depending where you're coming from, your effective tax rate can go from 40 percent to 12 percent. Yes, I think mine so was, it's something I think that mine they was 9%. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that, that, it, that you can definitely take advantage of. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it sounds really cool. And especially not the drop, you know, drop in, you know, work there for a couple of years and then leave again. I like the length of that. That's really interesting. Is this happening for people at all levels? I mean, so new, new hires, for instance, or people early in their career, three to five years, what are you seeing? It's happening for people at all levels, and not only all levels within us, the advertising marketing communications industry, even some of the traditional expatriate companies that you have seen in the past, like big banks, they are going to this model as well. Some of the, you know, quote unquote, newer tech companies that have been around that have what they call deep pockets that they can afford to to, to continually do these expatriate assignments. Um, They're going to these local to local basis as well. Um, You know, it, it comes down to when years ago before the global movement was happening um, within the relocation industry itself. If, if somebody had to take care of Asia business and they were based in New York, for the most part, they were moved to San Francisco or Los Angeles. Now we're actually moving them to the location where they need to in Asia. And so no matter what level you are in, as the domestic moving has actually decreased, the international moving has increased because we're sending people where they actually need to be regardless of the level and you know it's kind of the way everybody is going at this point in time that's really interesting so there is opportunity for people brand new in their careers to go overseas with a big multinational company not just not just but wpp but you said across all various industries mm-hmm. and start their career and plan to be there for many years, kind of building their career in that, in that location. That's really interesting. And I think probably going to be really exciting to a lot of our listeners who, you know, we've heard that the trend is, and, and you've explained it very clearly, it isn't just the expat going for a few years and out, because that cost is pretty high, as we know. So this is a really exciting and interesting pathway that um, that listeners can take. So that's great. Are you seeing any particular geographies that are um, more more transfers are going to or not or is it all the same kind of around the world well let's take the last 19 months out of it 
because yeah. um, there, there haven't been a whole lot of people going anywhere in the last 19 months. But if you go, if you, if you, if you go before um, the pandemic hit, um, the areas where you would see a lot um, of people going to were uh, China, India, um, in, in the APAC region, um, Australia, New Zealand is starting to build up again. We were getting a lot more people going down into there as well. The sub-Saharan continent within Africa, they are starting to get themselves a little more industrialized and people were going down into those areas as well. There were certain locations within um, Latin America where people were, were, were starting to, to go more often uh, than we have seen in the past um, as far as Colombia, Venezuela, um, instead of just Brazil and Argentina. Of course, there is um, for our company, because the two headquarters are in London uh, and New York, there is uh, basically the shuttle between New York and London that we have um, on a continual basis as well. Right. So good to know. Um, this is, uh, again, a very, uh, very inspiring and motivating. Um, but I know that there are a lot of challenges the industry has faced um, over the years, right? I mean, you've, you've discussed um, addressing one of them. What are some of the ones that you see now and moving into the future that our listeners are going to need to prepare for if they're thinking about a career like this? One of the challenges people are going to come about, especially somebody um, who is younger coming just out of school, is there are a lot of people that are still underemployed in locations. And, and, and some of the things that local immigration authorities are looking at is trying to make sure that they get their own citizens employed properly before they start issuing work visas to foreign nationals. So this is a direct result of the situation we've been in for the last 19 months. Outside of that, and if you take that whole situation out, some of the biggest issues that come about for people is a cultural differences that people have to uh, be made aware of and, and really educate themselves on. The difference in, as, as you mentioned earlier, um, costs between the two countries. One of the things people don't realize, and they should, is as a U.S. citizen, no matter where you work and live, you still have to file income tax returns every year and pay tax on your income. However, you will be able to get foreign tax credits for whatever taxes you pay, but those compliance issues are things that people really need to make sure they educate themselves when they're thinking about going overseas. Mm. Good advice. Um, are there certain skills that you've seen? I'm sure you've seen some successes as well as probably some huge failures when people have transferred and gone to another culture. Because yes, working cross culturally is important. But what, can we dig deeper on that? What does that mean? What do you, What are some of the skills or the if you've done a post mortem um, after someone's returned or uh, moved on? What are some of the skills that really help someone have a successful term? The skills that you will see in, in the people that have successful overseas work experiences, for the most part, um, it comes down to what the audience is doing right now. It, it's studying, it's learning, it's listening. One of the things people have to realize is no matter what you learn in school, there's always so much more to learn. When you're going into a location, and, and this doesn't also, I mean, we're not talking about going from D.C. to Hong Kong. It could be something as simple as going from D.C. to you know, Santa Fe, New Mexico. It is literally learning the culture of where you are going to. It is learning, I mean, some people it's the language, some people it's just learning the dialect. It's, it's learning the slang that people use. It is 
seeing how people behave. You know, um, New Yorkers move very fast. And when you go to Los Angeles and you're walking down the street, they don't move that fast. It's the same if you go to London, they don't move that fast. Um, you've got to be able to acclimate yourself into wherever you are going. And the way to do that is to study, learn, and listen. Oh, I love it. Yes, yes. And a deep dive into that as well. And yes. That's some, that's some good advice that um, maybe people who are thinking of being digital nomads, there's a lot of talk about digital nomads and global contract workers out there. Can you talk to us um, about the pros and cons of being a digital nomad? It's, is, it, is it worth it? Is it, is it all it's cracked up to be? You know, can you talk talk to us about it? Because a lot of um, listeners have thought, you know, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to pick up, and I'm just going to move to Costa Rica, Spain, and get a job that way. <laughs> Digital nomads at this point in time are becoming one of the banes of what I have to do simply because of the compliance issues that go around it. There are a lot of countries around the world that simply because they have lost so much revenue in, within the country itself on tourism that they have opened up their borders to these quote unquote digital nomads. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you can just show up with your passport and a Airbnb and say, I'm gonna be here for six months. A lot of countries actually will require you to apply for the digital nomad visa. There is a cost to a lot of them. And then there are restrictions on them on what you can and cannot do. If you are an independent contractor or you are a freelancer, it is so much easier to become a digital nomad than if you work for a corporation. The reason being is that the work that you are doing, even though there may not be, based on the digital nomad policy within any country, there may not be any kind of personal tax liability to you, there may be some kind of corporate issues, especially if your company has a presence in the location that you are actually going to. Mexico has a digital nomad visa. However, it is mostly for consultants and freelancers. So if I had an employee who wanted to go to Mexico to be a digital nomad, one of the things that would happen is because we actually have a physical presence in Mexico, their presence, the employee's presence in Mexico might create tax liabilities, not for them, but for the company based on the work that they're doing. So digital nomads are really good for people who really aren't tied to a company. There are some countries where they don't care. They just want you to spend money. And that's fine. And they are getting people to go there. But that is not the norm. That is the exception. So you have to be very, very careful about where you go on a digital nomad visa. You have to make sure that you get the proper documentation. You have to make sure that you are not personally going to have any tax liabilities with it, depending on how long you stay. Once again, it comes down to educate yourself before you go. If something looks too good to be true, most of the time it is. That's why I keep saying education is the key. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, if people think that just, you know, as, as uh, they become more remote workers, become more commonplace, they think, well, even though I'm based here in the U.S., I'm going to pick up and move. You've just described how that could create really big problems, financial problems, tax problems, um, if an employee does not tell their um, employer that that's where they're living now, that they have changed their locations, right? Yes, exactly. You know, we as a company, and depending on where an employee may go, we as a company have a legal obligation, if needed, to contract the person to that location, to pay the employee from that location, to withhold 
income and social taxes in that location to benefit that person in that location, including any kind of retirement benefits. One of the things that can come about with these digital nomads is that if somebody is there for a period of time to which they could be able to claim employment rights, and let's say they're working on a specific client and we lose that client and we no longer have the need for them and we have to terminate them. One of the things that could happen is that employee could now claim employment and unemployment benefits, not only from the country they're contracted to, but from the country that they're actually sitting in. So these are other issues that come about with these remote working and digital nomads. So lots of issues out there. It's not, you're right, it's a little too good to be true for everybody. People really need to do their research because they could end up with, um, I imagine, a a huge headache um, at the very least um, if things go wrong. Um, uh, headache is the least of their worries at some <laughs> point in time. Yeah. So that's one of the trends that I wanted to talk to you about. What are some of the other emerging trends that you see? Um, global mobility, yes, but also just kind of in the workforce in general that you've seen over the last couple of years that would really benefit our listeners from hearing from a, a sage and wise advisor as you. Well, some of the other trends um, have to do with there, there's a lot of work, as you all very well know, because you probably are into some of this as well, is in AI, in um, how we are actually going to be working on a virtual basis, and uh, especially the new hybrid work situation itself. Um, you will be the first generation coming out of university that you are not going to be asked to be tied to an office on an everyday basis. That is a simple, plain fact. If you are tied to an office, they might tell you that we have a thousand people that are located in this office. We only have 300 seats, which means you can only come in twice a week if you want to come in and everything else will be virtual. So you are in a very good situation in that you're not going to have to go to an office on an everyday basis. I envy you in that, you know, going to an office for all the years that I have, it can take a toll on you. I now actually have to build in commuting time when I go into the office because for the last 18 months, I haven't had to do it. It's kind of a strange situation for me. But one of the things that I think you all need to know as well, and and this isn't really a new trend as uh, I mean, but it, it is in relation to what I was just talking about and why I brought it up is that even though we are all getting very comfortable to be doing our work through Teams or Zoom or whatever the situation is and using your cell phones and tablets and laptops for all the work that you have to do. I think one of the trends that you will also see as you get into the workforce is that people will be required to actually start having more face-to-face meetings than they have been. There is nothing like having the personal contact. And I think that's something that we all have to remember, even though we haven't done it for so long. And the path that a lot of companies are taking is that it is not going to be needed. I personally feel one of the things that is going to happen is that it will make a resurgence. People are going to realize we need that collaborative effort of the team to be sitting in a room doing it together. We need to be able to sit down and hash things out. We need to be able to create a team by going to lunch together or whatever the situation is. The personal touch that you get and then the collaboration from having people sitting with you, next to you, in front of you, whatever the situation is, is something that has 
gone away, but I think will actually come back as a trend very shortly. Mm. And I absolutely agree with you, especially um, in a client facing or a consultant role, you really do need to make that contact with with your client. So that's great advice. So, So Steve, you've had a front row seat in the global arena for decades. We know, people like us, we know the global's everywhere. Um, but a lot of students, a lot of listeners don't really believe that they that globalization is going to affect their careers that significantly. Um, they don't want to maybe move abroad or they don't want to spend the next five to ten years living somewhere halfway around the world. They just want to stay put. Um, what specific advice do you have students like this who are interested in a career, of course, but don't seem to think that global really affects them? Global affects everything. If you don't believe that, try to buy a new computer right now. It, it's not very easy to do. Try to try to buy a new cell phone right now. It's not easy to do. Everything is global, no matter if you think it is or isn't. The whole supply chain is breaking down because we can't get we can't move things. That is part of what global actually is. There is hardly any industry that is not relying on something from outside of the borders of where they are. No matter where you are, if you're in the U.S., the U.K., Kazakhstan, Poland, you know, Thailand, for you to be able to do your business, you're relying on things that are happening outside of your borders. It could be as simple as banking relationships. It could be as complicated as all of the equipment that you need to be able to do whatever you're doing has to come from there. I would say if you want to stay in one location, you love the district, you want to stay in the district, that's fine. However, you also have to realize that everything that you're going to be doing will be relying on something overseas or cross borders at some point in time. And you have to realize, understand, and learn about it because there might be an opportunity at some point in time for you because because of the knowledge base that you have created for yourself, somebody will say, we need you in this place. It's there. It's not going away. So everything is relying on something happening across the border somewhere. Right. So that's great. And it's, and we all have seen this um, in the last uh, 19 months, for sure, the global supply yeah. chain, as well as the way things have really um Ubiquity of communications, uh, the advances in technology have all made this happen even even further. So whether or not you want a global career, please develop a global mindset and better understand the world um, around you and beyond you, beyond your state, beyond your your cities, your borders, um, and how it affects your industry as well. So I'd like to exactly. turn, yeah, I'd like to turn a little bit a little bit personal now and ask you to share some lessons, you know, from your own career. What's a piece of advice maybe that you were given at some point in your career and you did not take it, but later you realize, yeah, maybe I should have. <laughs> uh, when, when I first started out, I thought I knew more than I actually did. And somebody that I was working with um, at that point in time offered to be a mentor to me because he realized that I needed to learn that it was better to listen than be heard. And I think that my career could have progressed a lot better and faster if I would have actually listened to him at that point in time, because I was a very headstrong 23-year-old who thought I knew everything. And uh, I didn't listen to him, and, and I got stuck uh, for a little bit. And then once I started listening and hearing what people had to say and, and stopped trying to interject in every subject that came up 
I was able to actually learn more. One of the things that I have taught myself is that you are never done learning, no matter what you are, who you are, there is always something more to learn. Thinking that you know everything is not correct. Everybody is always continually learning, no matter what age you are, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what you do um, for a living. I wish I would have known that life was a continual learning experience and that when I graduated, it didn't end. And I think anybody coming out of school has to realize that your life is a continual learning experience. That's excellent advice. Excellent advice. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, before we wrap, wrap up, and this has been a wonderful conversation with you. I've really enjoyed it. Is there, is there anything else you'd like to add to make sure that our listeners hear? I would like to add that, you know, having an international experience is a wonderful thing. If you don't feel that you would like to live somewhere, but still want to have those experiences, look for a situation where you might be able to actually travel to those locations to be able to experience different cultures, you know, um, and, and, and deal with people in different countries and regions on a business basis itself. It might only be a week or two at a time instead of a year or two at a time. But I, I don't think that just pigeoning yourself into the United States, into a state, into a region um, is going to be the best for anybody's career. I think you've got to be able to get out. And if it's not on an assignment basis, try to find yourself someplace that will allow you to travel because for one, it's fun. And number two, once again, it is a great learning experience. Excellent advice. Yes, go global, everybody, whether it's uh, moving abroad, traveling abroad, or um, and even just exposing yourself to all kinds of cultures and things and beauty, beauty wherever it is we live, because it's easy to tap into culture too um, through technology as a, as a compliment. So that's great. Well, thank you so much, Steve. It's been a wonderful conversation. I've loved catching up with you. It was my pleasure, Stacey, and you know, I, I will help you out in any way, shape, or form that I can. Great. Take care. Thank you. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, go global.